Can you feel the love in the room? It's great, isn't it? Okay, I love a good wedding, I have to say, which is just as well. So, now, if you were here last week, I wasn't actually here last week, but I've listened online, you'll know that Aid launched this new series called Curator Society. And he explained that we're going to be looking in the next season at things that God entrusts us with. So it's things that he's given to us as gifts, if you like, not as our rights, not as something that we can demand, but as gifts that he bestows upon us. And when I listened to his message, I thought, that's actually quite countercultural in a way, isn't it? Because we live in a world where we're always encouraged to assert our rights and stake our claim and stand up for ourselves. But actually, we're looking at things that have been gifted to us, not but at our rights. And then I thought, actually, especially last week's message, it was so topical because he talked very much about creation care and the environment that we're in and actually how we all need to really step up and tend and manage and repair and save our world. This morning, we're going to shift a little from that very wide focus of the whole of creation and creation care. And we're going to shift from our physical, creative environments right down to our personal, our relational environments. And we're going to be focusing on, Ada's asked me to focus on, neighbors this morning. We're going to focus on our neighbors. Now, you might think, well, actually, after last week's preach, where it was such a hot potato topic, where it was so broad-ranging, we even got a whole list of tips that Rhoda lovingly prepared for us to actually help us with creation care. This week, narrowing it down, is that not a little bit parochial? Is that not a little bit insular in some ways? Well, what does Jesus think about it? What does he say about our neighbours? Who does he say our neighbours are? We're going to look together in a moment um, about at what Jesus actually says about who our neighbours are and what he thinks. And we're going to look at Matthew 22. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Now, Jesus, if you've read much of the New Testament, much of the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus always found himself in situations where others, particularly religion scholars, were trying to catch him out and outwit him. And he's just actually outwitted one set of religion scholars called the Sadducees. And um, it's actually talking about marriage. They're asking him some questions about marriage. And for those people that have been married more than once, who you're married to after the resurrection, if you want to know the answer to that, you can go away and read it. I'm not going to look at that right now. But actually, he explains to them what happens. And he outwits them when they're trying to trip him up. Well, they've had a go. And now another set, the Pharisees, have come along and they want to trip him up and catch him out and see how much he knows his, his scripture. So if we could have this up. Okay, so Matthew 22 says this. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important. This is the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. 
that is pretty definitive, isn't it? That says it as it is. In fact, Jesus is really closely aligning that second command with the first. He's saying, if you love God, you guys, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, us lot, you have to love your neighbor. You have to love others. But more than that, you actually have to value them, put them on a par with yourself. And that's not easy, is it? Who finds that easy? Tom, that's brilliant. That's absolutely great. I'm going to test you on that a bit later. (laughs) But it is quite a hard one, isn't it? Because we do find that so often our appetites, our desires, our needs, they come first in our life, don't they? And we can struggle putting God first. So actually, when we're asked to put our neighbor on the same level as us, that's tricky. But here's the rub. You've got to do it. God requires both of those things. Love God with all you are and have, and love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. And when I was preparing for this, I thought, well, actually, let's face it, without God's help and without his grace, I don't think any of us can stand and say we're able to do that. What we're going to do this morning is look more closely at that second command, and we're going to ask ourselves some questions that might help us as we progress along the road along the journey together. So firstly, we're going to look at who our neighbor is. And then secondly, a little bit later on, we're going to see how we can make sure that that neighbor feels valued and feels loved both to God and to us. Okay, right. Firstly, who's my neighbor? Well, in the narrow context, I think most of us have neighbors, don't we? I live right slap bang in the middle of town, and I'm surrounded by people at close quarters, which is sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And I know that there are many of you here who live more rurally, actually, and you don't necessarily have neighbors right on your doorstep, but you do tend to have some physical locational neighbors, people that you would connect with in your community. And if your experience of living with your neighbors is anything like mine, then you'll find that you've got some really, really good neighbors. In fact, one of my very closest friends was my next-door neighbor. She moved in well over 20 years ago. We got to know each other. We're actually very different in many ways. We have different faith expressions, and we don't always see eye-to-eye on absolutely everything. But we have been brilliant friends for one another. We have supported each other through the ups and downs of life. We brought up our children together. We've just been really, really good neighbors in the very best sense of the word. And you may have neighbors like that. You may also have other neighbors who you struggle with. Or dare I say it, they might struggle with you. But I think one thing we can agree on, that when we live in community, our good neighbors can be a real asset to us, can't they? And the bad neighbors can be a real pain in the neck. Now, I think it's also really important that when we start off any kind of neighbor relationship, whatever that neighbor is, that we start it off on the right footing, that we actually start our relationships off well. And I've got a little bit of a story to tell you about my mum. And um, as always, when I ever tell a story about my kids or my mum or my friends, I do check it out so she does know. And I know that she'll probably listen, so I have to check it out with her. Basically, my mum lives in Totnes. She lives in the centre of Totnes, and she is a neighbour to some people here, and I think she's probably a pretty good neighbour, and she's got some very good neighbours. 
And anybody that knows my mum knows that actually when you visit her, if you pop in, you go in the back door. You don't go in the front. The only people that will go in the front door are, say, the postman, a delivery driver, or someone that doesn't know her. So if someone rings on the front doorbell, my mum will generally go, oh, unless it's a delivery, she's thinking, who else is there? Anyway, a few weeks ago, she gets a ring on the door. She's in the middle of doing something. And um, she goes up, and she can see through the porch a couple of people who look very, very clean-cut and very well-dressed. And she thought, oh, no. It's somebody that's on the doorstep, and they want to either share their political views or their religious views with me. And I'm really not up for that. Really don't feel like it. I haven't got the time. haven't got the energy. I've got other things to do. Now, my mum can be pretty direct. She's always polite, but she can be pretty direct. So she opened the door, and she said to them, good morning. She said, I'm really sorry, but I do not share your faith or your political views. And um, I'm sorry, but I've got things to get on with. And they said, well, actually, we've just popped round because we're thinking of buying next door. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and we'd like to see what the neighbours are like. <laughs> she did invite them in for a cup of tea, and they did have a laugh about it. They didn't actually buy it. <laughs> now, that's just a bit of a funny story about how we start relationships. But actually, I think in our day and back in Jesus' time, neighbour relationships would have been pretty similar. They were affected by all sorts of dynamics. <coughs> but what does Jesus say about neighbors in that context? We're going to have a look now. We're going to look at a very familiar parable. I've asked Catherine if she'd come up and read it to us. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke 10. And Catherine's going to be reading from the message version. Just then... A religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God <clears throat> with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it, and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? 
the one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Thank you, Catherine. Okay, a very familiar parable for most of us there, but what can we pick out of it to help us this morning? Well, firstly, I think it's worth noting that in Jesus' time, the religious scholars, they would have been familiar with the command to love your neighbor as yourself anyway. Um, I think, Alex, we've got it up on the next PowerPoint. This is Leviticus, where it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that command isn't something new. But, and I think this is key, the Jews at that time, they would have actually really limited the scope of the word neighbor to their own nation, their own friends and peers and those who are around them. In fact, the Greek word that is used in the New Testament for neighbor is plesion, and it has a really narrow scope. It actually just means your fellow man, your fellow woman, your countryman, somebody who was a very close neighbor. And so the Jews of Jesus' time, they would have understood neighbor to mean your fellow Israelites. But this is really, really key. I don't think God would have limited the word. I think he would have had a much broader translation. And so Jesus here, he's driving that point home in a way that he loved to do with a parable, with a story that makes people reassessed to really ponder and think and think, actually, this was my mindset here, but what should my mindset be? He's broadening it out and he's saying that your neighbor isn't defined by proximity. It's not just your fellow Israelites or for us, our fellow Tottenesians. It's not defined by proximity, nearness, kinship, or friendship. Now, we might sit here and maybe sit on our laurels a little bit and think, well, actually, I do broaden that term out. I include my colleagues, my wider social circle, people that I meet walking the dog, people that I meet down the pub, wherever you might have your social sphere. And actually, that's all valid, and there's nothing wrong in that, and we are called to do that. But Jesus, I think, has been really clear here. That doesn't go far enough, not at all. I think what he's saying is loving our neighbor as ourself is primarily not about being near or close or familiar or similar, but it's about becoming near. It's not about passive. It's about active. It's actually about becoming near, becoming closer, becoming familiar. It's about, if you like, age is the word curator. It's about curating our neighbors, gathering those who God puts around us, that he draws us to and causes us to draw near to. And I think he really wants to push many of us out of that comfort zone of our social sphere of neighbors. And he's saying to us, you need to curate further afield and you need to recognize that everybody is my beloved created being. And I want you to reach out and draw near to those that I put on your heart and in your path. And if we look at that story, Jesus asks at the end, as he says to the religion scholar, he says, who is it that you think comes close? Who draws near? And the religion scholar must have thought, well, the priest, no, because he sidles right on over to the other side. The Levite, no, he avoids him as well. And yet notice that both of those men, the priest and the Levite, they would have shared the injured man's race, his religion, 
They would have been very familiar with him. They should have been the ones doing it. But they wouldn't. They didn't only not approach him. They recoiled. They distanced themselves from him. And they wouldn't look on their neighbor. But what about the Samaritan? He had nothing really in common with him. The Jews would see the Samaritans as pariahs, as unclean, not pure Jews. And actually, this man who was considered unclean, a pariah, what did he do? He approached, he looked, he had compassion, and then he really got up close and personal and he acted. So, I just want to reiterate it. What is Jesus saying? Don't just love those that are near you. It's so much more. It's about broadening your vision and lengthening your perspective. And I think that means that we have to be prepared at all times to see what that vision and that perspective is. Because God does want us to be those neighbor curators that curate everyone around us, that beloved collection, and not pick and choose who is in that collection. And I think when we do that, it's a bit like when Abe was talking last week about curating the earth, and we realize how valuable and how treasured and how precious it is. When we actually draw near to others, especially those with whom on the surface we have not a lot in common, we start to see how much God loves every one of us. They have no favorites whatsoever. That each person is precious in his sight. They are valued by him. And he's teaching us that's how he feels about them. That's how we start to need to feel about people, whether we're drawn to them or not. And why do we do it? Well, we love, don't we? Because he first loved us. And I think we need to remember that. So John says this in 1 John 4. says this, The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. I love that translation. It's in the, pas in the Passion. Loving one another should be our way of life. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. That is what the Samaritan actually did. And that is what Jesus demands of each one of us. So I think that explains a little of who the scope of our neighbors should be. That gives us an idea. Everybody is our neighbor. Everybody. And sometimes God will put particular people, particular neighbors for a season in our paths. Let's move on to how we practically ensure those who are entrusted to us are made to feel valuable to God and made to feel valuable by us. Now, if we were in the same situation as the Good Samaritan and we were traveling along and we saw somebody in crisis, or if we walked into a room and we could see somebody having a breakdown, well, we'd respond, wouldn't we? Not just as 
believers, but as decent human beings, you would respond. If it was a really very dangerous, tricky situation, you might not physically rush in and respond, but you would call for help. You would do something. I hope we would do something. I hope we wouldn't walk on by or sidle off. I'm sure we wouldn't. But actually, a lot of our lives are lived in the everyday, in the mundane, routine, everyday but there is a huge amount of need around us. There is a lot of hurting people, and there are a lot of people that need help. So how do we know that? How do we know when to act? I think that's when we have to ask the Holy Spirit, isn't it, for discernment. When we actually have to be prayerful and mindful and ask the Lord, who, Lord, are you putting in my path at this time? Who do I need to respond to? Which neighbours do I need to curate at this particular time? And actually, I think if we're more mindful and more prayerful about it, I think we'll see many more opportunities. And we'll see many more people coming through these doors or people that we'll be interacting with outside because we've been more prayerful about it and because we've been more open I don't think it's ever enough for us to just passively say, I didn't realize they were my neighbor. I didn't realize I needed to act. I thought that was somebody else's job. I think when God calls us to act, we have to do it. Now, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he talks about this as well. He's encouraging the Romans to look out for their neighbors, those around them and further afield. He doesn't, again, doesn't limit it to those just around them. Romans 15 says, Let each one of us make it a practice to please, that is to make happy, his neighbor for his good and for his true welfare, to edify him, strengthen him, and build him up spiritually. The message paraphrases it, this is the first part of Romans 15, as those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter, and not just do what is most convenient for us. How often do we do what is most convenient for us? Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and he helped out. So there's our measuring yardstick. And the command to love our neighbor as ourselves then demands that we show that unconditional, inconvenient, sacrificial love. And I think when we do that, God does reward us for it in whatever way. It may not be evident, it may not be obvious, but he looks upon us and he loves us and he favors us. And I think when we do that as well, we are reflecting God's love, whether we feel like it or not, whether it is inconvenient to us at that moment. We are mirroring Jesus' love. And in many ways, I often think those sorts of things in the everyday are the things that draw people to him. Sometimes so much more than any preaching or outreach event Any words can do. They're already valuable things, but sometimes it is just people seeing action in the everyday that draws them to Jesus. And I think if we bear that in mind, that helps us when we get to a time when we feel, actually, I could really do without this right now. 
Okay, so we're going to finish with just a few practical ways that we can draw near to our neighbours, a few pointers. So, firstly, we've got, I've mentioned this, be observant. Notice what is going on around you. And ask the Holy Spirit to make you a lot more vigilant. Remember, we need the Holy Spirit more when the circumstances aren't obvious, when we're not rushing to the rescue. Secondly, be proactive. We're not called to be a passive people. We have to remember that we have responsibility for those around us in the same way that we've got responsibility for this beautiful earth that has been created for us. We have responsibility for the beautiful people around us. Thirdly, refuse to count the cost. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because actually, sometimes it is costly to love our neighbor. As I've said, it can be inconvenient, inopportune. It may make us late for something. It may stretch our finances. It may really, really patience. But we have to remember to refuse to count that cost because why are we doing it? We're doing it because he first loved us. We have to remember all that Jesus has done for us, all that we've got to look forward to, all that we have because of him. And we need to remember that's why we're doing it. And the fact that we're doing it means that just that one person in front of us might be drawn to him. Now, there are a couple of caveats in all of that. Not because I want to undermine what God says, what Jesus says, not at all. Of course I don't. But actually, I believe God created us with common sense. And he created us to have boundaries as well. So when we are in a situation where we're wanting to help and bless our neighbors, those around us that God's asking us to gather, he's saying, I don't want you to be a doormat. You do need to have your boundaries in place. Those things are really important. They're not only important for us, they're important for those people we may be helping. He's never asking us to abandon that common sense. I think more it's about him saying, work out with me what I'm asking you to do, what I'm calling you to do, how I'm asking you to respond to someone. And then we know that when we're working in cooperation with him, we're on the right track. We're not trying to do it in our own strength and for our own selves. Secondly, I'd say we don't have to meet all of everybody's needs. As a community of believers here, I think we can all help. We can all signpost people to the right kind of help. And I like to see it as the, the way that we are actually like a great big team of curators. Like when you've got a library or a gallery and you've got different specialists with different expertise in different areas. I think we're like that. We've all got our own areas of strength, expertise, experience, and we can all be useful. And we all know if we can't help in one way, we do know someone that can. So we can signpost on. And I think in that as well, there's a reminder not to just try and meet everyone's needs and fix people onto us. Because actually what we're trying to do is point people to Jesus and help them to fix themselves onto him. It's about responding together in a broad, comprehensive, and a sustainable way. So, hopefully that helps a bit. What I do want to finish by saying is that whoever our neighbor, in inverted commas, may be, 
and however long we're asked to draw alongside them. Sometimes it's really short term, sometimes it's medium long term, sometimes it's lifelong that we, we develop relationship with people. The key here is to love as we're called to do and remember that God has placed us in a community to support one another in that and to remember that we have a responsibility to those around us, that we are called to love them as ourselves. That is the rub. There's no getting away from that. And when we do that, as we progress along that path, as we get that little bit further on in being able to do it, we reflect more of Jesus, and he is just pleased with us. And that's a massive privilege, isn't it? So we're just going to pray about that. So, Lord, I just ask now that you help each one of us, start with me, Lord, to broaden our perspective, lengthen our focus, to be more receptive to your Holy Spirit prompting, to be really available when we need to be, Lord, not to count the cost or see it as inconvenient, but actually, Lord, to listen to what you're saying to us and to respond to the one in need. Lord, I thank you that you give each one of us common sense. And I thank you, Lord, that you give each one of us community around us so that we don't feel we're on our own. But, Lord, we're doing it with one another and with you. And so, Lord, I just pray in this coming season, as we learn to curate more and more, as we learn to steward, be custodians of all that you have gifted to us, all that you have entrusted us with. Lord, I pray that we will all grow in those areas and that we will please you in your name. Amen.